Hi, Cindy. Hi. Um, before we get too far into it, I just wanted to introduce myself as Sam, and I'm speaking with Cindy, who is a uh, ret retired, or should I say former RN, you're semi-retired, you do have a, a, a job, not to mention the job of being a grandmother, which involves all the duties of <laughs> watching the grandkids and those activities. Yeah. But uh, what draws me to you, Cindy, you still do not have your fire, your smoke detector battery changed. <laughs> you are exactly right. But oh my if gosh. my daughter helps me clean tomorrow, then I can let the maintenance man in to change them. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Which leads me to why I love you. <laughs> um, so our relationship started through TikTok. Yeah, uh, I, I, um, and I guess you had noticed my, um, my progression, uh, uh through being bipolar. You, you saw me being, uh, manic through yes. my videos and, and then somehow you reached out and somehow we exchanged phone numbers and then you called me to say, what are you doing this weekend? <laughs> I, that was our, our very first conversation no more than like did we say chit chat hi how are you uh -huh. and this magnificent woman grew a set and called me out of the blue I don't I still don't understand why but you came to my house and you sat on my couch and you explained your journey and your experiences through um being bipolar mm -hmm. and unfolded a whole new world to me and the reason why i wanted to do this today is because i watched a movie last night and i don't know how many movies i've seen like this but this is the first movie that hurt me so deeply because i identified with the mother and i could see I, I knew right away she was bipolar and I saw what she was doing to her kids and um, is that why why did you call why did you come <laughs> okay so I was starting to uh, find people on TikTok that I wished I could have as a friend someone that I felt some kind of connection to even though I didn't really know them and you were one of the main ones and that was cool because you were like within driving distance mm -hmm. it wasn't like I had to go on a plane a four-hour drive I mean that's a big commitment to just oh, it wasn't even I mean, four that... hours okay all it right well, I... <laughs> um I oh and because another fellow I was watching on TikTok dared people to get outside of their comfort zone and have an adventure. And so I decided mm -hmm. that I wanted to make you my adventure. And so I did. Oh my gosh, I was your pet project. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But since then, <laughs> um, I, I think we've really become really good friends. Um, I the 
I wouldn't even know where to start, how you can educate people, but the, the part that um, has touched me most is how you've recognized how, how being bipolar affects your family and the people around you. And because you've had to do a lot of healing that involved your kids, you know what that process looks like. Uh, can you tell me how how somebody who has who know like everyone says, oh, I know somebody who's bipolar. Okay, well, what exactly does that mean? And if you have somebody who, that you're related to, what? How can you make sense of of that? Right. So when I didn't understand it myself then my family didn't understand it either and i'm talking about before i was diagnosed which was kind of a long time like 20 years of being not diagnosed <clears throat> and trying to make sense of my own self because i felt like such an emotional person and it turns out that people with a bipolar disorder feel things emotionally and very deeply so my family couldn't understand why I felt the way I did about things. And I couldn't help them to understand it until I understood it. It, it took me quite a while to even understand that it had an effect or an impact on my close family talking about my young daughters and then my older family, my sisters and brother and father. Um, <clears throat> it wasn't until I had become very mentally unstable and went through a, what was called a partial hospitalization program and then eventually had to have ECT, which was shock therapy, to help get me out of a profound depression. In part of the healing process, or how I was feeling, they recommended that you make a care plan for yourself or an emergency plan to educate the people who would help you with your care if they knew what was going on. So I was able to ask my sisters and my niece and my daughters if I could sit down with them explain to them what I had learned about a bipolar disorder and how they could help me. And that was by alerting me when they saw signs and symptoms of escalation to a manic phase or a dive to a depressive phase. Because even though the waves are gonna happen, there are things you can do to help yourself to help to minimize those ups and downs. Mm -hmm. So it has been, it has been helpful, very helpful to have supportive family. I'm not quite sure how people do it without supportive family. And even at that, there's still some times where they say, I just don't understand. And sometimes I don't understand either why I function in certain ways like I do and I just do. I had no idea that it would have an impact on my girls 
like I had to ask in the last couple years did you like were you affected by how I was and they were like oh heck yeah <laughs> I was so surprised um, because they couldn't yeah that, that, that's only uh, a concept I'm understanding within months you know I um, I just thought I was the only one who quote unquote suffered this disease or you know people want to call it so many things but sometimes it, it you feel like you're suffering and the wonderful thing I, I've noticed about you and you're 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 great about being public about it you can identify when you are going through a stage and and then you know the the, the steps to take uh-huh I just can you explain that process a little yes um, one of the things things that one of my counselors told me was to learn to ride the waves of the highs and the lows like ocean waves. They are just going to keep coming and some are going to be big and some are going to be small. Just learn how to ride them out or jump with them and enjoy them. So when I feel myself becoming very depressed and there's nothing in my life to be depressed about really but there isn't um, mm -hmm. but it feels that way when you are becoming depressed it feels like your entire life is something to be depressed about because you don't process things correctly so when I start to feel depressed it feels like I've never felt it before like like, oh my gosh, this is so bad. And really, it's just the same as every other one, but it feels new every time. So I have mm -hmm. to remind myself that it is just a down blow in the waves. You know, it's just, it's just a dip and it's gonna come back up eventually. And I know that there are things I can do to help my mood, it's just that it's extremely difficult to make yourself do anything for yourself when you're depressed. Mm -hmm. So getting out of bed, it's mm -hmm. a big deal. Um, mm -hmm. When I feel good, you almost kind of get cheated out of feeling good because as soon as you feel good, you start to question whether you're actually hypomanic and then mm -hmm. you don't get to just accept the fact that you are having a good day whether it's just an mm -hmm. even peeled good day or a hypomanic mm -hmm. good day do the things if it's hypomanic just keep an eye on it and watch out for the bad associated behaviors and know that you're going to crash into a depressive episode mm -hmm. And so it goes. I, I, I had a I had a moment where, um, looking back on it, I, I was probably manic. I felt wonderful. I was happy, elated, an all over body sense of happiness and joy. And then I started bawling because I thought, "Am I manic? Am I am I allowed to be this happy? Am I supposed to be this happy?" Uh huh. This. Maybe this isn't something 
I should be, what's wrong with me? And then I was like, damn it. Don't I deserve to be this happy? Maybe this is just what normal people feel all the time. And I'm just feeling it. And I was crying because it was, uh, the, these are seconds of flashing thoughts. It's, it's uh, imagine a railroad station with, with 10 different rails. And these are all different thoughts and they can so easily be derailed when you're in a state of mania or depression. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, so you, you have to be mindful and uh, cognitive of um, your thoughts and uh, stopping. It's, it's, uh, it takes practice. It does. And especially when you're depressed. I love nothing more than to be depressed when I'm depressed. <laughs> really? Uh, uh, yeah, it feels very comforting. Oh my God. When I'm depressed. I want to turn the lights off. I want to listen to soothing music and I want to sit in my misery and because that's very comforting. Is it? <laughs> when and, Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. No, go ahead. Is you it? do not feel that way? <laughs> no, no. Um, okay. I'm wondering if it's possible because I think that you and I have the two different forms of a bipolar disorder. <laughs> And I wonder okay. if you spend a lot of time in a manic state and don't know it, and then your depressive state is actually a relief from all of that upness. I, I, I'm, I'm sure you're right. That's just me supposing. I, yeah. I don't know if that really happens or not. Yeah, because I, I do notice when I go through spells of mania that I do have to shut the world off and not call people back or respond to messages as, as urgently as you know typical or uh energy you know the the spending time with people mm-hmm. is is uh very exhausting oh, um part part of the, the thing that you, because you take things so sensitively you're constantly giving and feeding off of other people's vibes and energies. You're constantly trying to read the situation. Oh. Where do I, where do I belong in this environment? Uh-huh. Yep. And, uh huh. Yeah. That's exhausting. It is. So you, you, you plan an event. I'm exhausted even thinking about it. Yes, absolutely. Is that part of it? Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, completely. Um, my therapist asked me, why did I think I had such a hard time doing something like doing the dishes? And I said, well, I lay on the couch and I think about the dishes and I think about doing them and thinking about the amount of physical energy it will take to stand there and do those dishes is so exhausting. The thought of it is paralyzing. And so I can't start. And it's never as bad mm-hmm. as you imagine it. Um, oh, darn, mm-hmm. there was something you said, though. <sighs> it might have been about oh, just constantly evaluating a situation and where you belong and what's accurate and what's not accurate. Mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. sometimes misinterpreted my boss's statement or expression and so i want to be really careful how i say things that's what i was thinking 
on the way home, what would I say if you asked me to say some summary of a bipolar disorder? And I would say it's exhausting because mm-hmm. you don't just, at least for me, I don't just get, I don't get to just go through life day to day to day. Mm-hmm. Always evaluating mood and physical stamina and on and on. <laughs> Sorry for the sound effects. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm not sure what stage or process, or maybe this has nothing to do with being bipolar. Um, maybe it's other stuff that I have to work through. But from the time I get up in the morning until I'm exhausted, I, I can't sit down. Uh, I, I have a, a difficult time just letting go and sitting and watching the TV show. Um, unless I'm, you know, it, I have a feeling of anxiousness about me. Because you need to get up and um, move? Yeah, I should, should, shouldn't there be something I should be doing all the time? Okay, so... Or, 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 I'm, or I'm depressed and I just need to withdraw and, you know, that's the extreme. I think that with regard to the be on the move kind of thing, to, mm-hmm. to me it sounds like there are two things at play there. One of them would be at what stage of a manic episode are you if there are degrees and stages for bipolar one and i think there are other things i hate to use the word issues but i'll say issues other issues from your life that you're carrying along that don't where you don't permit yourself to have time to sit down you know why is it mm-hmm. that you don't feel like you are allowed? Why do you feel like you have to be depressed before you stop? And that mm-hmm. would be those are the kinds of things that, as you go through therapy with a bipolar disorder, you start to find these mm-hmm. things that are not necessarily related to your bipolar disorder, but it helps you to start to identify different things that you want to talk about. Absolutely. I, I can, as you're talking, I can, I can see how it might not be related, but it is absolutely affecting and it's something that deserves more attention to. Um, yeah, that's, that's a very good. Um, and there's two, good two parts to that too. One is identifying the issue, but the second part is resolving the issue. Because just knowing what the issue is doesn't help to change it or end it. Mm-hmm. So, there, that's my therapy spiel for that. Um, would you say your adult daughters... Um, do you think they have to be mindful of how they treat you or interact with you any differently than they would somebody who is not bipolar? Uh, No, they are very um, upfront 
when they feel like they need to address something with me or if I'm being hard on myself about something, they can understand and help me work and walk through it. And at the same time, mm. they're both discovering that they are probably bipolar also, and we haven't recognized it all this time. Oh my. Yeah. So they have to come to terms mm. with the fact that they are or aren't have therapy mm -hmm. and decide if they're going to be medicated for it. I think one would and I think the other one would not. Mm. And there are people who are bipolar mm. who uh, manage their life without medication. I would not be able to. I was crumbling without mm. it. If you don't mind me saying, um, you're you have had a long journey recovering from your um, ECT, yes. mm -hmm. electroshock. Um, so I, I did want to make that be known that it's it's it has been a rough journey, uh, and you do take not a, in, in addition to to other health issues, you do take a lot of medication. Yes. Um, one of the other great things that I. I before I forget, because I'm afraid you're going to be too humble to, to talk about it. Because of some traumatic things you've went through with your uh, family's passing, uh -huh. um, you've implemented some great procedures through hospitals. Yeah. And um, on a future episode, I would love for you to talk about that. Oh, I'd love to. And uh, specifically... Um, you uh, you gave me a lot of comfort when it came through uh, when it came to processing um, my parents' death, and you shared your experience. And um, when the time's right, I'd love for you to to share that with everybody. But for now, um, I'm gonna say thank you so much for this time. Oh, thank you for getting yeah. in touch with me. I look forward to more. And just so everybody knows, this woman is not as tall as you think she is, but when you hug her, you will hug nothing but boob all the way around. That's all you'll feel. She is this delightful woman with, are your glasses still big and your hair is still all white and the biggest smile. I love you too, Sam. That's it. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll talk okay, to you later. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> oh, just popping by. Yeah, it's all good, dude. No worries. Hello. Thanks for coming by. Hey, Sam. Hi. Hi. Why did I still hear that? Music in the background. Uh, I don't hear any music. You hear music? No, now it's gone. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so I thought we could, and if anybody wants to join in this conversation, um, we don't really have any people on live. I had to end mine because Kai was being, you know, five and wanting, ah. you know, <laughs> mom not to ignore him, um, which is reasonable because I do that a lot. Um, 
but uh, I really liked your message this morning and I thought you were talking about some good things that I just thought we could have a chit chat about. Do you remember remember, remember what you were talking about at all? What's that? I don't remember what we were talking about at all. Oh, okay. You left me a couple of really great Marco Polos. You said, um, well, one of the things that I really thought was important to talk about was you were talking about how I looked on my live last night mm. and the transformation between morning and evening for me and yeah. um, the filters and the makeup and the lighting and the angle and all that. And I just think that's so important because you, you know more what I really look like because you see me on Marco Polo, which is just raw. But TikTok has... Am I- are you am I often seeing you like very early in the morning at your roughest point um no (laughs) I just I'm more of a like raw kind of granola person like I generally don't wear makeup um it's it's, for me makeup is something special it's Mm -hmm. I kind of have to be in the mood for but um you're kind of seeing me as I am although yeah right now in general I'm rough you know but yeah. but I, I don't mind the way I look is what I'm saying. Like, it doesn't bother me at all. I don't mind all my spots and wrinkles and, you know, yeah. I mean, obviously sometimes I'm like, oh, <laughs> I look tired. I, you know? I am often amazed when you post uh, a transitional video of the past year and, and you've, you've done some from even, uh, I think, beyond a year. Uh, I'm amazed at how you've changed your body, your facial features, um, your, your muscles, the structure. You've really gone through a lot of transformations. Um, yeah. You're talking about that, those ones that I do like pre-COVID and then post-COVID? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, COVID, post-COVID hit me like a, like a train wreck. I mean, I was like at my best prior to COVID. My best. I... I was post-divorce. I was like, just had put all the pieces together of all the things I learned. And I was just like on fire, man. It was like the best time of my life. And then COVID hit and it was like, boom, like, oh, you thought you had a business? No, that's over. Oh, you thought that you had a co-parent? Nope. You don't have that either. Oh, you thought your kid had school? Nope. You don't have that either. Uh, You're just going to be sitting at home. I mean, I started drinking like a fish. I mean, for me, for me, you know, I was, I was drinking like a lot. I was drinking a lot of wine, which I hear happened to a lot of people. Um, I was just disoriented, but yeah, it knocked me off my horse for sure. And that's what those pictures show to me is like what the stress of COVID did Mm. to my life. You know, did you feel any of that? I know you were going through other stuff too. Uh, I, uh my COVID was really um, second to what I was going through. Just the uh, sitting in with the absence of my dad, you know, because he passed away in December. And then there was a lot of busyness of just getting, you know, what happens after somebody dies. And um, yeah. So I, I had a really hard time and it, my dad was, you know, six, for six years, it was my dad and I and Cooper, thick as thieves, wow, you know, go to the grocery store. The three of us would always go together, you know, every little errand um, and, you know, sharing everything 
um, that a father and daughter does. I'm sorry, it wasn't six, it was five years. Cooper six. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was losing your best friend, the only thing you have. And what was uh, your relationship like before with your dad? Like, was the birth of your son like a, a changing agent in your life? Like, did he come back? Oh, no, it, I, we always had, I was always uh, a daddy's girl, uh, more so because my mom was uh, the one to be scared of. I now know um, she probably was bipolar. She was a yeller. And I, so often I was walking on eggshells to, to make her happy. And I think maybe that's where my people pleasing came about. But my dad was very easy to please and easy to be with. Um, but my mom was the smarter one. <laughs> um, she was the more um, demonstrative one. Uh, emotional so I would push her away and you know now I know we're we're so much alike you and your mom um, yeah me and my mom and our parenting styles the, the good and the bad um, but my dad was just uh, he was just the quiet guy in the room he would talk slowly to the point you would ask him a question and you would say dad did you hear me? And he'd be like, no, I, I'm, I'm thinking like he would think of his answers uh, to the point of like, are you even paying attention? That sounds like, but he yeah, was, that sounds like my ex-husband. It's, <laughs> it's so hard for me to get my head around people like that. Like, and I know a lot of people are like that where they just really need time to think. Mm -hmm. I've always associated it with a masculine mind and I don't mean men. I just like, I had a best friend who was a female but had a very masculine mind and she actually had a lot of testosterone naturally mm. and she was like that just mm -hmm. really take your time um mm. okay so you and your dad were always close this is very interesting to me to think about who you are as a person and like the person i've gotten to know not knowing your background um mm. that you were so close with your dad do you yeah oh my god i have so many questions about that but okay so let's go back to the covid thing so so you and your dad, did you become closer though once your son was born? Like you said that you guys were thick as thieves and uh, did everything together. I, I don't know that we could have gotten closer. Um, it, it, it was, everything was better um, because I got to, to do it. Uh, for the first year and a half, I got to be a stay-at-home mom because when I sold my first house, I made a nice profit. And all I wanted to do, you know, my mom had just died 16 days prior to Cooper being born. And what? So, mom died? yeah, my mom died in um, a pancreatic cancer, right. November 16th, 2014. Okay. Um, um, so 16 days later, Cooper was born, and uh, you know, my dad and I were. We were taking out the neighbor's cat while they were on vacation and my water broke. I thought I peed myself. And uh, I just kind of like kept that and like looked over at my dad and I didn't say anything. And then uh, later on that night, we're sitting on the couch and um, I had a, a doctor's appointment two hours away 
the next morning. And, uh, and he's like, Samantha, I really wish I could take you, but um, he had another engagement that he couldn't get out of um, with somebody else. Anyway, he couldn't take me to my doctor's appointment. Here I am, nine months pregnant, have to drive two hours just for my checkup because oh with everything my mom had gone through, I hadn't seen a doctor in like five weeks or so. And at that stage, I'm 42, high risk. I um, I wasn't doing the the twice a week appointments that you need to go to. Um, I was. It was just uh, I was living with my dad, helping take care of him through the death process of my mom. So we're sitting down on the couch watching Jimmy Fallon, and I'm like, you know, I I wonder if that's my water that broke. You know, I thought I peed. You know, so we're talking well, about it. And he's like, well, the last time you'd been pregnant was like a couple decades before, right? Yeah, 23 years wow. prior. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's a good bit of time to forget. So okay. Yeah, I, I did not know. I didn't remember. I wanted to take Lamaze over again. Uh, life circumstances, like I could, I wanted to redo everything right. Having an adult set of skills with me this time. And uh, it was, the, the timing just couldn't be any worse, you know, having to lose my mom. And so I was like, Dad, I, I think let's, we, we better get to bed. Maybe that was my water broke. So uh, like two hours later, I woke up my dad and was like, let's go to the hospital. And he drove my car. And so it was my dad. And I texted my older son. I was like, can you meet me at the hospital? I think it's time. So wow. I got my dad and, and my older son. He was there and, and he, the, my oldest son cut the cord. Wow. So were they both in the room with you? Yeah. Oh. And I was really glad my mom wasn't there. I was initially the Friday before my mom passed away. She said, Cooper, get Cooper better get here quick. And she passed away the following Sunday. So how long between your mom's what? death and your son's birth? 16 oh days. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But hey, she, I'm so glad. I, I even told my dad, I'm so glad she wasn't there because it would have killed her to see me go through. If she was there when my mom and dad were there when I gave birth to my first son. And she, it was a, it was a long, long, long birth. But uh, I, it would have killed her. It, the pain was a level I had never experienced. And uh, luckily I could hold Corey's hand, my son's hand, every contraction, uh, I squeezed his hand and I thought I was gonna die. Wow. I thought I was gonna die. At some point I had preeclampsia okay. and um, I, I thought I was gonna lose it. Were and there any complications with the with the birth? Like, did, were you able to deliver him vaginally? Yeah, naturally, it was very, once, uh, it was actually very fast. Oh, wow. Once I, um, once I had to push, I knew, and it was one push and he was out. I, I, I don't know what it looked like because my eyes were shut, but I'll bet you anything, the doctor caught Cooper like a football. <laughs> <laughs> I just, oh, the feeling, because I, 
I can remember that feeling of feeling Cooper pass through my body and, and my, I can, I, I know that feeling and it shot out. <laughs> so I just, I want to back up a little bit because I want to go over this timeline. I think this is really important because we haven't talked a lot about you because you've been, you know, so like, um, you know, feeding my ego. Girl, I am the most self-absorbed person you're, you've talked to. I talk about my shit all well, the you time. Don't. You're wrong. You don't talk about it to me, and I don't know much about you. You ask me so many questions. You want to know about me. Oh, my God. So, I have, have I not shared some of my most bawling moments well, with you? What am I crying I over? Don't I, if you don't I, okay, know me. Hold on, hold on, hold on. So... So I just want to get this timeline down. So your mom was sick for with pancreatic cancer. So I'm imagining that was a long illness. How long was she sick for? Um, no, actually, wasn't long. She retired. I, I love writing this down because if anything, this is a lesson for people. She retired December 31st, 2013. Wow. In spring of the following year she was complaining a lot and i thought she was just complaining i guess it might have been in may she finally went to the hospital had blood clots up and down her legs eventually found out it was because she had pancreatic right. cancer by that time i had already known i was pregnant maybe i think i was pregnant three months before i finally figured out i was pregnant i understand um, that yep so I, um, so once I knew it was pancreatic cancer and I did all the research on my company's dime <laughs> during work, I was researching what it meant. And, uh, so I knew my life had to, had to change. You know, I knew I was going to sell so my house. She I had, I'm going to interrupt you a little bit. Cause I, cause I know we only have so much time on this and I really want to get this basic thing down. I'm not trying to interrupt the flow of the story. I think we can go into this deeper, but so you found out she had pancreatic cancer in the spring of 2014 mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. she passed away by, by when? November. November 2014. And that was yeah. 16 days before Cooper was born. Cooper is born. And then were you and your dad and Cooper living together from the time he was born? Um, once she was sick, I knew I was gonna sell my house because I couldn't afford it either. Um, I, I couldn't maintain my job and those requirements in my house. It didn't make sense to live two hours away. I was gonna drop everything to live with my, and, and that's what I did, uh, move in with my parents. So every weekend um, I would come home to, to my parents' house, take care of my mom and dad and, and do the shopping and, and buying every little thing that needed, everything to make their life better is what I you did were trying every to weekend. contribute because you were going to come there to live with them. Okay. Right. Yeah. So um, for, my for people who don't know you, I just want to say that you, that house that you went to and that you grew up in, you just bought the farm across the street from that house, right? That's a whole wild. Yeah. My parents bought that house in uh, February of 1973 wow. I was about four months wow. old and I have moved in and out of my parents house I don't know how many times the last time I moved out of that house was uh, 
June of last year. And uh, I get to, to settle on the property across the street. Okay. So I want to, I'm going to pull you back a little bit. Cause I just, I want to, so I'm, I'm, I'm talking to um, Sam, her handle on TikTok is Sam's road to joy. And Sam and I made a connection like through videos and lip syncs like months and months and months ago. And I felt like we've been friends like for a long time. And we finally just kind of connected in a personal way over the last, what, what's it been Sam a month? Maybe a month. It's very odd. It's very odd because I feel like I know you so well, but I'm still getting to know her story. And so anyway, okay. So I'm, I'm going to, I know that there's more to this. I know that it's much richer and deeper than this, but I just, okay. So your mom gets pancreatic cancer. She dies within months. 16 days after that, you give birth to your son. You're living with your dad. You sell your house. It gives you, yep. you're going to have to be a, a stay at home mom. Your dad is there. The three of you are this beautiful little family living together, loving each other. And then what happens with your dad? Um, he, after, after he, my mom died, he went on a big spending spree because she was the one to, to hold the purse strings and do everything. So after he spent some, some money on, on lavish things, um, we, he, he eventually, um, he was diabetic and he did things, uh, very recklessly. He didn't take care of himself to the point where, um, he wouldn't drink water. You had to be on this man to drink water. And, um, he had a couple incidences where he had to be hospitalized because he would get this blood disease. Um, so during one of his hospital stays, they took a chest x-ray. He was hunting of all places. And, uh, my cousin identified that. What year was this that he had the chest x-ray? Um, it would have been uh, 2008, uh, December, 2018. So Cooper by that point was four. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So he got a a chest x-ray. He was talking deliriously. Um, my cousin thought maybe he was, um, having a stroke, took him to the hospital, found out he had another, um, blood um, infection, um, which was a byproduct of uh, prostate cancer. He had radiation, um, which had very complicated, but his testicles were swollen to the point that they were larger than a softball. So because that fluid could not circulate, it would um, create a lot, a lot of bacteria and he'd get a blood infection, which would turn in, it would show signs in a rash throughout his leg. And then extreme signs, he would talk, uh, he would be very confused. Um, so that had been, I think the third time he had gone through that. Um, but they took the x-ray, they saw something. So that was December. And then we just follow up things in March. And in, in March of 2019 is, is when we knew it was pancreatic cancer. It was stage two at that point. So then got pancreatic cancer. Yeah. 
Now I'm realizing why I get so confused about your story because we never really sat down and talked about it and both of your parents had it. Okay, that's intense. So your dad got it March of 2019. So literally one year prior to COVID, obviously we don't know COVID's gonna happen. And then did you go through that whole illness with him for that year? Yeah, it, it really wasn't that bad until um, he got, he had chemo. They gave him, oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, it was, um, after he, he, he had chemo, the plan was to do X amount of weeks of chemo and then surgery and then X amount of chemo and you should be good five years, you're, you're great. That's what they so, said. We, that's that we had five years in our head at stage two, you know, we just had a but great. But he didn't prognosis. take care of himself. Did they not factor that in that he, this was someone who had a history of not drinking water and all the rest? See, I, sorry, I'm getting ahead here, but this upsets me. I, I've worked at, yeah. I'm telling you, it's it's the chemo. He yeah. it. it wouldn't his quality yes. of life. This is the thing. I, 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 I'm going to interrupt you just for a second to let you catch your breath. But I, um, you know, I had ideas about cancer and, and these types of illnesses and the treatments, but it wasn't until I worked at a cancer center and I directly worked with patients like alone. Um, I was an intern actually it was called extern. I was had externships. And one of my externships was at Disney cancer in Burbank. And I was the doctor essentially, but my supervisor would come in at, cause I was, this is like right at the end of my schooling. So they expected you to do it on your own. And then there was one supervisor. And before you were allowed to treat, he would come in and you would tell him what you thought and you know, what your diagnosis is and, and how you want to treat. And generally he would just go, yeah, okay, do this. <laughs> But, you know, you had to do what he said, but because um, he was in charge, it was his whatever. But I got to talk to these patients one on one and I got to see them go through their treatments. And I have to tell you, it really um, soured me to cancer treatment in this country and to what we do to people. Uh, I think it goes against the Hippocratic Oath. I think that we don't take into consideration. I don't think I know we don't take into, cons into consideration people. Mm -hmm they're walking diagnosis and, and we experiment on them and everything you just said right about it's not the cancer that ends up killing people it's the treatment and not only is it the treatment that kills them but then we destroy the last bit of life that they have that's what hurts the most i'm sorry i'm so sorry yeah yeah he he uh, there was a point when i i wish i had paid more attention to it but there was a point when Cooper got his last hug. And there's a point when Paul probably wanted more hugs, but you know, it was scary looking. Imagine a, a 80 pound man laying in a hospital bed with a chemo port and a catheter. And he's laying there naked because his body is just so hot. And it's scary. So, Cooper got robbed of his grandmother and grandfather. And I, if, if I'm blessed with a decision, how I get to die, 
it won't be oh through my gosh. chemo. Yes. And 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 just because I am broadcasting this live on TikTok, I I feel an obligation to say that, you know, treatment is a personal decision and I understand when faced with your mortality, um, fear can take over and there are different types of cancers, there's different types of survivabilities and all the other things and it doesn't always kill people and destroy their quality of life, but And I would have to say, knowing what I do of pancreatic cancer, um, it is, I, I know I fantastic people who have survived through breast cancer, ovarian, uterine, numerous plague after plague. I'm only saying that from my personal experience and because pancreatic cancer is it's so really it's one of those cancers um, that is um there's a very low survivability rate and I, yeah i think it's it's such a complex topic and discussion um because it really does get into the dynamics of western medicine and that system and how it's set up and that it's really not about the patients it's really like like as you're describing your dad like and his habits you know i'm thinking why didn't they take that into consideration? Like there should have been a detailed interview process where a, a doctor or, um, uh, you know, a physician's assistant, someone really got to know this patient, really interviewed them and talked to them. What do you do every morning? What are your habits? How often are you pooping? How much water are you drinking? What do you eat when you, you know, just all the things to understand who is this person because if you don't take lifestyle into account and someone's mindset into account with a treatment like what are you really doing you're experimenting on them for them to say five years with someone who doesn't drink water that's irresponsible that's i just that that angers me and i'm so sorry that I, I would love to know um, through Chinese medicine what how can you help a patient in a different way that you know is it's it's a tumor like I, I've heard you tell stories uh, of remarkable uh, regression but can you tell me the meat and bones what does that look like when you uh, can help a patient with cancer? Well, legally and technically, I cannot help a patient with cancer because cancer is a Western diagnosis. It is a Western medical diagnosis. So in Chinese medicine, if someone comes to me and they have cancer, or let's say I'm working in a cancer center, I'm not treating their cancer because cancer is not a diagnosis that I can give on, under my license. I diagnose them using Chinese medical diagnostic terms. Does that mean that in reality, I'm not treating, that I'm, I'm treating the cancer? Yes, I am. Of course I am I'm treating the whole person. Um, in China and in Korea, the hospitals are incredible. They make our hospitals look like dumpster dives. No joke. Uh, we are so behind the times when it comes to medicine in this country. I mean, in all ways, like, I've seen tours and I've talked to so many people because so many people I know have have toured and worked in these hospitals in Korea and China, South Korea, obviously. Um, and uh, they just say they look like palaces. And then the therapies that these people get, it's not just like, let's pump them full of drugs and send them home. I mean, it's 
physical um, therapy, it's acupuncture, it's twina, which is sort of like chiropractic, but it's more in depth. It's also like um, manipulation and massage. They get herbal therapies and not just herbal therapies that they drink and swallow, but herbal therapies through IV. Um, it's about quality of life. It's not just about a disease and going after the disease. Like, like the patient is just an experiment to be had, you know? So, so in he, in this country, what I can do is much more limited, um, because I'm not integrated They, you know, Western medicine doesn't understand because those lobbies are in charge. They get to decide. It's like our medicine is seen as like, you know, something frivolous, like something to, you know, like even being allowed into that Disney cancer center, it was like some special program that these people got to, it's like a spa or something like they don't take it seriously. I, I don't know if my son's mm-hmm. want me from, okay, no, don't go outside. No. I, I'm curious, um, who are, is, is this something that when you talk about that type of, you know, that the hospitals or palaces, mm-hmm. are these who's getting service who can afford this is this something that is all across accepted and available to every person no matter their the income status i have definitely not delved into okay. the you know geo social politics of all that um there's a great movie on the small screen called uh nine thousand needles or not it's up to you hang on one second sam you can play it, but you just have to play it on the small screen. It's up to you. Okay, then don't play. That's fine. Actually, Smash Brothers is easy to play on the small screen. Who's that? Hey, on the <laughs> All right. I, yeah, I got to get him outside today for sure. Um, I don't know about the access. Um, I'm sure that there are classes of people that don't have access. Now go back, go back to 9,000 9, needles. needles. Um, I think it's uh, Durst, Derek Durst, Greg Durst, uh, his brother, he made a film about his brother by accident. He's from Los Angeles or rather he lives in Los Angeles. He's like, was involved in film in one way or another. And his, bo- his brother was one of these big time bodybuilders, like tons of muscle, um, uh, mm. just big, you know, bodybuilder type. Um, in this culture, we think of as like He-Man and, oh, look how super healthy they are. For somebody in my medicine, that's not healthy. <laughs> and what ended up happening to this man, mm-hmm. it was not a surprise, honestly. Um, so he, he got a call that his brother had had a stroke. And because Doug, I think his name is Doug, Doug Durst, I think that's his name. Did you get it? Yeah, okay, yes. Durst. D E A R T H. Okay. Yeah, I, it's been a while um, because that movie came out when I was in school studying Chinese medicine. And um, it does a really good job of showing some of the things that are available. Um, because, okay, so here's the story. What, what happened is, is his brother had a stroke. He lived in the South and he loves his brother. He's a filmmaker or is involved in film somehow. So he basically started loosely filming um when he went out to visit his brother and showing what his brother was going through and essentially he got like a few weeks of pt or something after the stroke and because our insurance system and our medical system is so piss poor and this was a man who had young kids he was married he was you know in the prime of his life i think he was in his 40s maybe 30s or 40s um and they just were like yeah sorry that's all you get 
And so he was essentially disabled and they said, you know, you're not going to walk again. You're not going to like, he had been this totally able-bodied, capable man and they just dumped him. You know, our medical system just dumped him. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this. And so, so they start to research and look for other things and they find out about these hospitals. I, I think they did go to China is where they ended up going. And they raised money in the community to help him to pay for it and to afford this program, this stroke program, which the night that I previewed this film in, the, in a theater in LA, one of the doctors who worked with the doctor that was featured in the film had actually come to work at our school and to um, teach that stroke protocol. Um, to the students at my school. And so there are other Chinese medical doctors out there who know how to do this stroke protocol. Um, but he went there and he received all the kind of treatment that they give there, which is, I mean, you see it in the film. It's definitely worth watching. Um, mm. And by the end of the film, when he comes home and he didn't get to do as much therapy as he wanted, but he got, he got to do a good bit of it. He actually walked um, I think it was assisted, but he walked into the church back in his hometown with the people who had helped to support and pay for everything. Um, he needed to, um, you know, do more therapy. And, and this is the tragedy of it is that this kind of therapy and help is available to people. If nothing else, like you said, it may not cure your cancer. You know, it may not make that go away, especially once you get to a certain point, the body reaches a turning point, you know, we're limited resources, but but you can, you can improve the quality of life. You know, you can reduce symptoms. You can make people feel good. You can take away their pain. You can reduce their pain. You can re reduce the intensity of the pain. You can, you can stimulate appetite. You can help them to, to live the last days, weeks, months, years of their life in comfort you know, and, and help them to walk and talk and all these things that, that our medical system is like, well, we live in a McDonald's kind of medical system where it's like facet, come on, like do it, do it. Do it. Oh, we can't, we have to work on it. We have to spend time. We have to invest in people. Pfft, no, bye. Too much money, too much time. We don't value people's lives. And that's the difference between the medicines. And that's what's so infuriating. I, I actually don't think about this that much anymore. I know the beauty of this medicine and what it can do. Um, and it's not the medicine only it's, it's that it, we care about people. We actually care about people. You know, that's, that's the, the people that I've met through hospice and through the nurses, the, the people that are taking care of, of these people. Oh my gosh. The toll I cannot imagine you yourself have actually brought it up how exhausting it can be being there for somebody at that capacity you know maintaining that level of support for somebody working on some it that's a that's a hell that's a remarkable skill if, if I mean you it's, can it's do a it skill and, you know it's a skill because what it requires and I guess this comes back to a lot of our conversations thank you for having this this one with me is um it's like, it's boundaries, right? It's knowing how to take care and love ourselves. And I think that's the chronic illness that we all have in this culture in particular. We don't learn how to take care of ourselves. We don't learn how to set boundaries within ourselves for our, for our own life and protection and health. 
And we learn this from our parents and from our aunts and our uncles and, 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 and our bosses, right? There's no boundaries. Just work yourself until you're dead. Just give until you're dead. Just give until you're mm -hmm. empty. There's, there's no self-care because that's selfish. What the hell ever, you know, these lessons are that we get in subtle ways and in big ways. And I, it, that's the, the, the takeaway from my parents' death. They lived to save money so that when they retired, they were going to travel and do the things and blah, da, da, da. There was no time for that. I, I'm not going to, to die rich. You know, that's my parents sacrificed so much. I would have much rather had more time with them than any money in the world. You know, the quality of life, the time I got to spend with them. I just wanted more of it and a better quality of it. And um, if they had known, <laughs> would she have cared of, about the 401k? Would she have cared of, about like saving up? You know, she would have bought my dad that boat that he always wanted. She, you know, they were saving up for a reason. <laughs> oh God, that's... It's tricky. It's so tricky. It's such tricky stuff. I mean, this is like what we're getting to is the essence of, uh, I mean, just so many things. I, I just, I really feel we're missing out on living. I feel we're missing out on life. I, I talked, I've talked to Monarch about this a little bit. I'm not trying to wedge that into the conversation, but these are the conversations I'm having now and the people who are in my life right now, because he hiked the PCT, which is kind of how mm -hmm. I um, became interested in who he was because the PCT, if you don't know it, it starts in mm -hmm. Mexico and it ends in Canada. And you basically go up, you know, through California, mm -hmm. uh, into, um, Oregon, Washington, and then, you know, all the way it's, it's over 2,600 miles and it's through like mountain passes, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, like, desert, like, you know, it's insane. It's a totally yeah. insane thing to do. Um, but I totally get it because it's like, um, you know, it's a metaphor for life and I, it, and it's just the most incredible way to be and feel alive and you don't have to be rich to do it. Um, you know, and, no. um, I think what he got out of it from what he said, and, and I read that book by Cheryl Strayed called wild. Do you know that book? Did you read it? Yes, I do. Oh, yeah. you no, love I it. it's such a, you know, Reese Witherspoon, when she made the movie, which I saw long after I read the book, I actually would say that that's the best movie I ever saw made of a book. Like they, they definitely did a good job, but oh, the book gives wow. you some, of course, there's more material there. But, you know, I just, I really think, and I know I'm not alone in this, that this is, this is what we're missing in this culture. We, we've been fed this lie as Gen Xers from the baby boomer generation because they came from the world war two generation right of lack and you know the great depression and and so it was this idea that because they were starving and there's that line in the sand with poverty where it's like money does matter to a point but once you get past that poverty line it stops mattering so much i think the latest statistic that i saw was like once you get to seventy two thousand dollars a year like after that like your life will actually, the quality of your life will actually deteriorate to some degree because of the stress or something it's more in depth than that. But 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I've certainly found this to be true. Like the more money you make, you just end up spending more or getting focused on saving more. It becomes about more, more, more. And you're missing out on these basic tenements of living. Mm-hmm. And Oh, I agree. A-, a friend of mine has boiled it down to, he only needs, I think, $33,000 mm-hmm. a year to live on. He makes a lot more than that. But it's just knowing that affords him the opportunity to to live a happy, happy life. You know, he can pick and choose what he spends his time. You know, luckily, he's got a lot of hobbies and things like that. But wouldn't you be happy if you just didn't have to make 80,000 a year or 72? You know, if you didn't have to, wouldn't your day be spent just being luxuriously self-involved and happy and around. I mean, I think the solution is so, it's so incredibly simple how we could all get out of this. You know, all we would have to do, uh, well, all we have to do is, right. It's it's simple, but it's, but it's, it's, it's simple, but it's, um, what do they say? Like, you know, it's, it's the simple things are the hardest things because simplicity it's like writing something simple, you know, writing a simple note versus a 10, pa- 10 pages. You can just blah, 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 blah. If you write something, but to, to boil something down to something really simple takes a lot of skill and hard work. And I think the, the solution simple. Mm-hmm. We need to go back to like community living where we support each other and where everybody has their little job and we rely on each other. But that, that requires us to be involved in each other's lives and to, you know, be a part of each other's lives and, not and not be hermits living this quiet existence where we and you had me you had me until you said that requires us right. to but, be but with here's other the people. thing in these communities and this is all you know idealistic because obviously people are more complex there's more problems in this but but even in these like communities if you go way back into like indigenous cultures um it's not that there aren't problems within those cultures and you know we're, we're human beings so of course there are problems but you have people who who play certain roles of the hermit or of the wise woman or the medicine woman or you know the wise man who goes up on the mountain like there are always people within any healthy culture who who aren't right in the mix because that's how they're born that's their role so it's not like you have to be some social body or social busy body kind of thing but to be interdependent and to help each other and to be able to, because of that, like you said, not have to work a job that you're enslaved to, to pay for things, um, to sustain a life that is totally out of sync with nature, that destroys our planet, that kills our bodies because we're overworked, overstressed, we can't sleep, you know, we don't get along with people, our relationships aren't working because everything's lit. You know, we're, we're farming food in a way that's destroying the, the actual soil. That's been happening for decades and decades. That's been happening since, you know, the, what do they call it? The, the, the dust bowl. Whoa, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, oh, oh my gosh. Have you read the book, The Jungle? Holy crap. Oh, oh my God. The Jungle? Gee, I think it's Upton no. Sinclair. Oh. Jesus. I'm writing a list of things that I have to look up. The jungle. Yeah, the jungle, it's about you the, said the industrial the revolution. Uh, 
in America and um, in the United States. Mm. And um, it's a sick book, but it's it's true. It's real. It talks about kids being put to work in factories. And I mean, it's just, yeah, this is when everything got out of sync. So so my point is, is that I the, sim- the solution is simple, right? Which is walk away from these big banks, walk away from this corporate, you know, capitalist society and just say as communities, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to grow our own food. We're going to take care of our own wells and we're going to, you know, like, but, but that's not simple, especially with the world being overpopulated the way that it is. I mean, it's just so out of control. I, I don't think about it much anymore, but this fantasy that I have and that a lot of people I know where we want to buy a plot of land and we want to do like a commune. <laughs> I've actually seen that. Are you making fun of no, me? No, that Are has been my dream and aspiration and for years. I've always wanted to do that. And I have a lot of friends. We talk about it all the time. So you and I must have talked about this. It doesn't surprise me I don't remember because it's a common part of my um, discussions with people. And I've seen this in action. I actually had friends in New Mexico who did it. They had some land and they all, um, one guy had a teepee that was just like for communal hanging out. It was awesome. It was a real teepee and he had like a fire pit in the middle of it. And then everybody else had their little kivas that they had built. And then they had a main house that was actually on the property that they fixed up. And that had the big kitchen with all the things and like a family room type atmosphere where everybody could come and gather. They had an outhouse that one person maintained. They had crops of food. Um, They were raising bees. Um, You know, it's a lot of work. It's a very different lifestyle than what we are all accustomed to. And I think that's where the, the ideal of this way of living versus the reality can diverge because we're, we're very spoiled. We're very, um, you know, all the things, indoor plumbing, all of it. Like it's, it's not an easy life to do that, but I don't know, for me, I would take the hardships. I would take the difficulty. I would get rid of, um, I would lose some of the comforts if it meant that I got to live life, you know, and my heart could grow. I, I, you've just, you've just outlined my plan for me. Thank you so much. I've, I've literally, I'm sorry to be so emotional about this. I've, I've been sitting in front of my computer, uh, ever since I got home, I drop off Cooper. I take the dogs for a little walk and I sat at my computer and I have something typed up and I'm on page two of trying to explain what I want to do. And I guess I'm looking for acceptance and help or just affirmation or that I see you and I understand what you want to do. I under, I just want somebody to be like, Oh my God, that doesn't, (laughs) you know, that sounds like a good fucking plan. And I want to support you and support just means, Hey girl, I see, you know, I'm not looking for, I just, cause it's, it's the negative shit. People saying I'm not a farmer. People telling me I don't have health insurance. I don't have a fucking plan beyond. That's what I want to do. And you don't don't have shit beyond that. And I know that that sounds crazy to some people, but it really boils down to your own determination and will. And I think the support that you're lacking, um, if I may be so bold is your own. You know, of course we all need support from other people. We're social beings. I totally get that. 
But if you don't believe in yourself and if you don't support yourself and if you don't start to draw these boundaries for yourself and if you don't wake up every day and love yourself and like you said to me in the last couple of messages you sent me, be gentle and loving with yourself and stay focused on your own dreams and goals, no one and no support will ever be enough because it starts with you. And so, yeah, you are definitely not alone in this dream and this vision. And I want to finish that story about my friends because it's a cautionary tale. Okay. And, and why you have to be so strong and focused mm -hmm. because there are absolutely major forces out there that don't want you to do this, that don't want you to have this, that don't want when people's in the bigger culture, whether they are conscious of what they are doing or not, like of how destructive they are being, people do not want other people to live this kind of a life anymore. It's this threatens our modern culture. These, these ideas, they are radical. Uh, to people who believe in capitalism, you know, to the death and who think that this kind of living in this way of life is utterly ridiculous, you know, to live in, in tune with nature and in tune with our neighbors and all this stuff. My friends who had this commune in New Mexico, um, who were amazing guys, one of them I'm still in touch with, he ended up marrying a South Korean woman. They actually ended up moving to South Korea. They're farmers there now. He's amazing. Like these are really extraordinary people, you know, who are living lives that are not familiar to most people. But he and another guy who now I think lives up in Seattle, super, super smart dudes. I mean, just like blow your head off smart, you know? Um, they were the ones who started this and they were very politically active in New Mexico, very politically active. They were loud voices and they were, as you can imagine, like, um, you know, more green party like, like they were like, I don't know, they were anti-establishment people. Okay. And, and young. So they, you know, they made mistakes, but they were okay. active, they cared. And so they already had this reputation. They got this piece of land. They had built all these little kivas and um, teepees and they had their farm. It was amazing. I stayed there with them for a few days. It was a beautiful thing, what they were doing. And one day they were out and New Mexico, um, like a lot of places has a lot of drought issues that come and go. And they were out and they were like building something. And I think they had like a saw mm. and a spark came off of the saw and it lit, um, Hmm. the field on fire and it caused a fire, a pretty uh, bad one. And the politicians who uh, hated them, the local politician, they used it as an excuse. Uh, I mean, really, it yeah. was an excuse. It was totally just, they, they just went after them and, and ran them out of the state and destroyed them. And they hmm. destroyed the thing, right? Because really what it is, 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 um, it's not just about getting the land. It's not just about having this quiet, peaceful life. You are threatening the very structure of our whole society by doing these things. And the fact that they had a political voice on top of it. Yeah. So, oh, shoot. I, I have, I have opinions that I'm, um, gosh, yeah. wow. All right, that's why people invented. Yeah, well, was I, don't, I, don't, I remember I sat down to dinner because the other guy, I'm not going to say their names. Well, it was Ben and Peter. I'll say that, Ben and Peter. Ben ended up fleeing. He went to Washington. Um, Peter, and I think Peter did tell me because Peter and I met up again in Albuquerque. Oh, God. It was before I had my son, which is crazy. It's just crazy how time flies once you have kids. But 
we met up and he had just gotten married to the South Korean woman and we met at the South Korean restaurant um, in Albuquerque and I ended up asking him what happened and he, he told me the whole story and they did end up dropping charges like they were able to get good representation eventually with support from the community proving that this was all bogus and that they were just scapegoating them and they were because they tried to say that they lit the fire on purpose i mean it was just it was, it was craziness it's like what happens this mob mentality of these people in power like we're seeing it now P these people in power they, they offer and they persecute anybody who is doing anything different you know um going outside the norm but um um i forgot what, I, I lost my train of thought on that So they, did they, they just sold their plans and oh, they their, their I mean, property they and, and walked they, away they from it all. They were trying to Is... prosecute them. They were trying, they went after them. Like they literally got run out of the state. Like they fleed because these, they, and, and eventually it all got worked out. Eventually the charges were dropped, but these people were out for blood. They wanted to, and it wasn't, the fire didn't like, of course it cost money. Um, but these, I mean, I'm, listen, I'm not saying that it was, of course, it's a terrible thing that happened, but um, nobody died. There was no structures lost. Um, of course, it costs money, but this is also a result of global warming and what's happening. Like, it used to be a spark would happen and maybe there'd be a little fire and it be, would be put out. But now everything's so freaking dry that it, you know, that's not, this is just, right. but they were scapegoating them. They wanted them gone. You know, they wanted their voices gone. They, they, this commune um, idea was, I, what I say is if you're going to do this stuff, start a bee farm, make really good honey and make friends with all your neighbors so that you become the honey guy or the honey lady. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I got scoffed at because I said, um, you know, I, I don't have a lawnmower yet. I don't have any plans for goats or cat, you know, uh, but I said, you know, I'm going to plant a bunch of wildflowers. Like, what's wrong with having a meadow, you know, with some damn bees? And, you know, like, and I got scoffed at for, for that. And I was like, all right, I'm clearly exactly. speaking to the exactly. wrong Exactly. And, you know, we should end Get with that because that train. was one of the other things that you said on your um, message to me. You were like, you said that I realized that I've been hanging around the wrong people. I did. You said that about yourself, correct? Yeah, because because there's yes. Somebody, okay, just to I be have clear. a lot of new people in my life. Very suddenly, like my life has changed a lot in the last couple of months, um, and slowly but surely, I've you know I'm I'm getting these new people yeah. into my life, and it's exactly what you're talking about with this farm. Like if somebody scoffs, okay, face another direction, go find somebody else. That is not your person. Because people who support you, they may have critical feedback, but they're not going to scoff at you. They're not going to diminish and demean you. You know, support can still look like critical thinking and like mm -hmm. reworking things, but it it's not making you feel small, making you feel less than, making you feel unworthy. You know, people who love you and support you are going to love you and support you even when there's differences of opinion, you know? Um, and so that's what I... would you this influx of people into your life is it because of how you've been looking for interactions now there's a high volume of people so like these people that you're letting in like um 
well, like, what is your vetting process? Because I gave you my number months before. Okay, I gave you my number. All right. And I'm just trying to, I, I'm literally just trying to think of how this happened. I, get, I DM'd you my number a long time ago because I, I wanted to help you out with your business. I had an idea for you. That was my thing. And that it, so we, we didn't connect for a while. You eventually did a Zoom that I signed up for. I attended that. And then I was concerned about my tongue. I sent you an email and then we legitimately. Yeah, we had like an appointment, a real appointment. Zoom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so well, that was like the first time well, that we spoke. Yeah. All right, and then from there, then then came that <laughs> stupid app, Marco Polo, and then we've and then we've been really so talking what's my incessantly. What's okay, my so is that? How yeah, you, let me let me go that through that. But I want to tell friends? you something that one of the TikTok people said. Um, catnip. I don't know if you know catnip, but she knows you. She said, I have a good friend that actually did this talking uh -huh. about the commune thing, um, left a huge career and home in the Midwest, came to Oregon and started a farm. She's doing amazing. So you know what? You should hook up with catnip and uh, see if you can maybe get in touch with her friend. These are the kinds of people you need to talk to. And there are people on TikTok. um, like you could get into the like farm TikTok, you know what I mean? Like, and not the, anyway, I just wanted to say catnip on here um, has a friend. So there you go. There's one person. So what's my vetting process? Yeah, I, um, I think in general, my vetting process has not been good. I, I haven't had a vetting process. I'm such a friendly, open person that if you are open to me, I generally am open to you, but that has obviously changed for lots of reasons. Um, not all of which are like walls or anything like that, or even specific boundaries, but just the way life naturally draws boundaries. But I think with friends now, because of my age and because I'm yeah. a single mom, TikTok has inadvertently mm -hmm. helped me with boundaries um, because there has been such an influx of people. Um, you know, like I I'm not one of the biggest creators, obviously, but 23,000 people, even though most of those people don't engage, it brings a good bit of people into my direct messages and, you know, people that I get to know and it takes time. There's so many different faces and, and for me, they're just circles mm -hmm. on a screen, you know. Mm -hmm. But then people start to, the people right. who really stay in touch, you start to go, oh, right, I remember this person, right, right, right. And then you start to learn a little bit. So I think that that's what TikTok has helped mm -hmm. me with is this idea that everything takes time. And it happened slowly. And for me, it had to take time and it had to mm -hmm. go slow because there were so many people. I can't possibly keep up with everybody, you know? And so it's like, I think what it taught me is take your time, go yeah. slow. You might have a spark. You might have chemistry. And I'm not talking about love. I'm just talking about all people. Spark, chemistry, that can always be there. But mm -hmm. longevity, like the interest, does it, does it last? Is it just like the newest flavor? Like, oh, you're interesting. And then those people flutter away. Or are these people who are continuing to show up in your mm -hmm. life and that you equally have an interest in for whatever reason? And so I think like I am just, I am just somebody who, um, they, they can't have me in their lives very long. I don't have, um, 
well, many, I don't quite understand that, that I have to go. Cause I have to, um, I really do. Have to. I know I got I got to, I got to keep. Damn it, Kai. No, 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 but let me finish. Oh, I was just going to say this that, um, world. <laughs> you know, be careful about the stories that you tell yourself, right? You don't hear, any, you don't hear anybody else's voice as much, as often as you hear That's your own. True. You're right. You tell me I'm beautiful every damn <laughs> but, day. But I mean, even God the story it, about, right? Like, thank you for that. I can't maintain relationships. People don't want to be me. Like, it's, it right. may have been your that's experience, but that's there are reasons that we yeah. have experiences. And then as we start to create a story around those experiences, we begin to create that experience over and over and over again. And honestly, I think the most powerful thing I've learned over the last 10 years, mm. because you're right, I really have transformed my life in a lot of ways, is that we really are the story that we tell ourselves. So if you don't like the direction of your life, if you don't like things that are happening change the story. Oh, change it. Oh, dang it. All right, fine. Go change your direction. I can one hang up now because we're on yeah. perfect one I minute and one. The kiddo.